We've uh, been studying here in chapter 1, and we have seen Jesus and his disciples embark on the mission of bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And as we look at this passage today, I want to highlight something that was true then, and it's certainly true now, and that is this. When Jesus steps into an environment, when Jesus steps into our situation, our life, our church, nothing stays the same. When the real God, the living Christ, steps into our world, steps into our situation, it is no more business as usual. God wants to transform things. It's what he intends to do. And as we study his word today, I believe we're going to see that very clearly. And with that said, I'm going to read here verse 21 through 39. And the Bible says, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, and he began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, and come out of him. I I, I like that part. Be quiet, and come out of him. Don't say that to anybody today. (laughs) Jesus was saying that to a demon. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they debated among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately, the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately, have you noticed how many immediately's there are? Yeah. Grammatically, this doesn't work for me. Immediately, they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her. I want to say that again. The fever left her. When Jesus touches someone, things leave them. Amen. And she waited on them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases. He cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house. He went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him, and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I might preach there also. For that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. This is the word of the Lord. Three points of context before we focus on some observational points today. I first want to talk to you about the city of Capernaum. Verse 21 here says that Jesus and his disciples went into Capernaum, a very important city, It's on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. If you've been to Israel, you've been there. It's barely a tourist site today, but it was a very important city then. 10,000 people lived there, one of the largest cities uh, along the Sea of Galilee and in the whole Galilee region. Again, we're going to Israel in two years, and we'd love to have you come with us. Not much is there. It's sort of a beach site. You'll see what they believe is Peter's house. 
This is what is being spoken about here. You'll also see a synagogue that is there as well. And in Jesus' time, very important city. Five of the 12 apostles were from Capernaum. It's a fishing town. Lots of industry. Very important trade route. You can imagine why Jesus made this his home base. In Matthew 9, 12, Jesus says this is his home. He's from Nazareth, but now he says that this is his home. And you can see that reference. He calls it his city. And we're going to see this again and again in the book of Mark. So be, be reminded of Capernaum. Very important. The second point of context here is the history of the Sabbath. It says that Jesus entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath day is a day of rest and a day of worship. We see from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3 that God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it or he set it apart. In this, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Now, we further understand the Sabbath in Exodus 34 and verse 12, and it continues in that chapter, and it tells us that the Sabbath was a part of God's covenant with Israel, and he told them that it was to be observed perpetually. He wanted Israel to continue this, and the specific command was one of abstinence. He said, on the Sabbath day, you are to do no work. The religious leaders were often angry and believed that Jesus had transgressed the Sabbath. There's a lot of tension. We're going to see this in the book of Mark many times where the religious leaders are angry with Jesus, and they believe that he's broken some sort of Sabbath rule or commandment. But that actually isn't the case, not at all. There's a body of writings in addition to the law that further describe what do no work actually means. Think about this for a moment. There's maybe six or seven passages in the Old Testament that help us to understand what the Sabbath is. And it specifically states, do no work. Now, if uh, you're somebody that really wants to honor God, you're going to ask the obvious question. What does it mean to do no work? How far does that go? How many of you are, when you take a day off, you still work? You still are doing something? You get up in the morning and you can't help yourself? Am I preaching to myself today? You are unashamedly, you're not, you try to, uh, you, tr- you try to act like workaholism isn't a thing. You know, I mean, let's just be honest. There's some of us in the room, you just can't stop working, and so you have to figure out what Sabbath means. And there were a lot of well-meaning people, and out of the Babylonian exile, the Pharisees, the set-apart ones, you know, they had to come up with some different things to help understand and describe what it meant to do no work so that they could teach this. The scribes were those that were trained not only to write, but they were also trained in the law. Well, they came up with a body of writings that is called the oral law. Jesus in Mark 7 calls it the traditions. Today, we refer to this as the Mishnah. I actually have a copy of it in my office. It's translated into English, and it's very difficult to read, so I don't recommend it. This week, I tried to read all 39 categories that are stated concerning the Sabbath. The reason that there was a tension around Jesus and the Sabbath is because the religious leaders over a long history and period of time in the Mishnah, in the oral law, they wrote out 39 different categories of what it meant to do no work. These are categories of work. This would refer to like what you can and can't do in terms of fishing or plowing or how far you can walk on the Sabbath. Not 39 commands, 
39 categories of work. Some say there's 65 commands. Some say there's 70. I tried to figure it out. It's a very difficult document to read, even though it's translated in English. But this is what legalism will do. People in their well-meaning honor of God will seek to fully understand what it means to do no work. It's my opinion that when something is sort of categorically ambiguous, God meant it to be that way so that in our relationship with him, we can walk it out together. I believe that's why God kept it that way. Do no work. What does that mean? Walk with me and I will show you. I don't think it meant it was, it was an opportunity for us to develop another 75 rules. So whenever Jesus did something on the Sabbath, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes were like, can he do that? He can't do that. Let's kill him. I mean, they, they, so you have to understand the tension that they had. But Jesus never transgressed the law. He fulfilled the law. He never broke the law. He walked perfectly. But the Sabbath is a very important topic of discussion throughout the book of Mark and the Gospels. We also see here the synagogue, the importance of the synagogue, which was a center of religious life for Jewish people. The word synagogue means to gather together or the gathering together. Orthodox Jews, uh, good Jews would go to the temple in Jerusalem at least once a year if they could afford to, but they would all attend the local synagogue weekly on the Sabbath for worship. And a typical gathering is not that... uh, not that much different from what you and I do. What do we do? We get together, we worship, we sing songs, and we read scripture, and we pray. That's exactly what they would do. But the people who were in charge of the Sabbath were often called attendants. They were administrators, facilitators. They were not scribes. They, they were not priests. Uh, they were, not, uh, they were lay, lay leaders is what they were. They were in charge. And so they were not like these high-level teachers of the law. They would often rely on the local scribes. The scribes were experts in the law, and they would often allow guest rabbis or scribes to teach as well. So when Jesus walked into the synagogue, it wasn't like super random that he would like just walk up, sort of like, I don't know what we have in our mind, but he'd sort of float up into the middle, and the scroll would just come to him. It would levitate, and then it would flow. I don't know how people play out the Bible in their mind, but we almost... Uh, The Chosen TV series has really helped a lot of us to ground it in the earth, like the real world that we live in. And so anyways, but it, it was pretty common for someone like Jesus to be handed the scroll as a guest rabbi, and then he would begin to teach. And that's exactly what happened here. And what I want to do today in, in this large passage of scripture that we have is focus on two observational points. And they're really categories, if you will. We want to look at the teaching of Jesus and the power of Jesus. I'm going to read to you verse 21 and 22. It says this, Jesus entered the synagogue and began to teach. What did he teach? We don't know. It doesn't record. Don't you want to know? I want to know what he was teaching. I want a front row seat. Now, we have a lot of teaching in the Bible from Jesus, but I would love for Jesus to come in, in the flesh, just teach us this morning, wouldn't you? Listen, I, would, I wouldn't even need a chair. I'd just go sit on the floor. Come on, Jesus, teach us today. I want to know what he taught. It doesn't say. It just said Jesus began to teach. And verse 22, it says, they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching as one who had authority. They were amazed, and he was teaching as one who had authority. And here's a contrast statement, not like the scribes. That's an important detail. Jesus didn't teach like anybody else. So there are two points here. First of all, his teaching revealed his clear authority. 
That's the noted difference concerning Jesus' teaching. He spoke with authority, not like the others. Scribes were trained in writing. They were experts in the Torah and the law. We need to understand that. It wasn't that these people weren't used to teaching. It wasn't that they weren't used to people who were trained in the law. But when they heard Jesus, they heard something different. Friends, I want you to know, when Jesus steps in and he begins to teach, people's hearts started to pound. They didn't know what was happening. Can you imagine how it must have felt for the living son of God, full of the Holy Spirit, to step into a synagogue and everything was business as usual, everything was routine, this is the way that we normally do a Sabbath day, and Jesus starts to teach, and all eyes are on him, and they're saying to each other, who is this man? something is happening to me on the inside. Is it happening to you? Yeah, it's happening to me. Is it happening to you? This person's on the ground. Amen. Something is happening and he's just talking. He's just teaching. He's just saying words, but they were more than words. Jesus was otherly. When he spoke, when he opened his mouth, people knew something was different about Jesus and you know it too. They're just words, friends, but the words are like containers of power when Jesus speaks. He spoke as one who had authority, not as scribes. He didn't have to cite another rabbi. He didn't have to cite some tradition or interpretation. He was the interpretation. He spoke because he was the author. The word authority here in the original language means the power or the right to act. He spoke as one who had the power and the right to act, or in this case, speak. Let me give you an illustration. One time I was talking to two men that were ex-military, and both of them were agnostics. Sounds like a party. (laughs) And as they were speaking to me, they were talking about Christianity almost as though I wasn't there. It was very strange. They had a lot to say about the dark ages, medieval times, how Christians have a bad name, and how much hypocrisy that there is, and all of this right in front of me. No questions, not involving me in the conversation, No exaggeration, literally just talking about Christianity, talking about the Christ, talking about how weird the Bible is, all of those things. And I'm just sitting there. I was just an observer to the conversation. It was amazing. And I remember thinking in my mind, this is sort of strange. It's strange that I'm talking to two agnostics about Christianity and Christ, and I am a Christian, and I'm not a part of the conversation. And so, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes into the conversation, I can't exactly remember, but as my mind is going like it often does, I sort of stopped them and I said, hey guys, I mean, these were strong, tough men, you know, and they had a lot of strong opinions. And I thought, wow, you know, and I don't really care. People have opinions about everything, so do I. I don't step in and try to give mine about random stuff. I just let people talk. But this is something that's very personal to me. Can you imagine why? I think you're with me. So I said to them, I said, hey guys, how would you feel if I begin to talk to you about the rigor of military training and what boot camp is like and the feelings that you have in the pit of your stomach before deployment? And I started to talk to you about the wheels that are turning in your mind and your heart and and what you go through from the time you get up in the morning and the time you go to sleep as it pertains to being in the military. How long would you let me speak before you would say, hold up? How long could I go down the road in that conversation knowing that I've never been in the military and you two men are ex-army rangers? How far could we go? 
And both of them said, well, that would be kind of weird. And I think they sort of, here's the dot over here, and here's the other dot. And we went, you. And I, and that's what it felt like. You're talking about something, you're talking about something. I am a Christian. I read the Bible. I don't, I know you read the Bible in college in a religion class, a comparative religion class, and many, and many times the professors will just cut it down, and, and because they have a PhD in some, you know, random general category, they think they have the authority to speak about the Christ that they do not know. Friends, I met him. I know Jesus Christ. When I read the words, I read them with sincerity of heart. These are the words of Jesus Christ. When you read those words, you're not thinking, I know him. I want to apply these words. I'm obeying him. There's a big difference in the room between somebody that knows and walks with him and somebody that's just giving a critique about Christianity. And the difference is authority. I know the author. I believe his words. I follow him to the best of my ability. And I, I love the conversation and how it ended. It ended just sort of like a mic drop. Amen. But the difference is authority. Today, we live in a time of ideologies, opinions, philosophies. We live in a time where everybody's got opinion, but there are words that cut right through all of that. And it's the words from Jesus the Christ, the words that changed your life. When he speaks, when we read it, there's something different about his words. Yes, they're words we can understand. And for those of us, as we speak English and we read English, we, we get that they're just words that seem to be written on a page by human vessels, but there's something attached to those words. There's power in the words that Jesus speaks. They were listening to him and they could tell the difference. It was authority. When Jesus taught with authority, number one, he spoke with boldness. He wasn't afraid of anybody. Men and women are always afraid. We're always afraid to say things. How's this going to sound to another person? What are they going to say when I share what I really believe and the truth of it. Jesus spoke with boldness. He wasn't afraid of anyone or anything because he had authority. He spoke words of life and words of truth. He spoke with grace. He was full of grace and truth. It wasn't just what he said, but it was how he said it. He spoke with simplicity. Common people could understand him. And the scribes and the Pharisees loved to speak with eloquence of terms and, and, and see how fancy they were and, and how the nuance mattered. Almost trying to speak over people's heads so that everybody would think real highly of them. There's, there's nothing to that. Anybody can come into the room and start speaking about something nobody else knows about. But Jesus wasn't trying to speak over their head. He was trying to speak to their heart. And he did so. He spoke with simplicity, common people like me and like you could understand. That's why they enjoyed. There's a passage that said, and all the people enjoyed him speaking. I mean, it's just a, a, a weird thought, but there's a passage of scripture that says, and everybody enjoyed him speaking. I bet you it was because of how different it was. They could understand him. And that was his intention. He also spoke with anointing. His words were divine. John 6, 63, he said, my words are spirit and life. They're containers of life. If you'll adhere to them, if you'll believe them, you'll experience life. He spoke with definitive finality. His words were not up for debate. They were conclusive. Jesus preached to a conclusion. Amen. I read a lot of the Bible, and so sometimes I feel like that's where I 
kind of get my personality from. I, I love how Jesus just put a period at the end of things. It was not up for debate. He brought it with finality. This is the truth. He spoke with authority. Jesus was the word. John 1.1 It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You drop down to verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus Christ. So here what we have in this passage is the Word Jesus, incarnate, speaking the Word. Doesn't doesn't that sound like an amazing day? (laughs) The Word speaking the Word. Of course he spoke with authority. All things that were made were made through him and by him, by his Word. It's the Word speaking the Word. And his followers, when we speak in his name, we bear his authority. When we speak his truth, we bear his authority. We speak with authority. We're not speaking the ways of the world, the things of the world, the ideas of the world. When we speak the pure words of Jesus, there's authority in them. The second aspect of his teaching is his teaching amazed all who heard. It says it twice here in the passage. The word amazed sometimes is translated astonished. You ever use that word astonished? Say it to your spouse on the way home today. You know, I was astonished. Say it about the sermon. I don't mind. Don't mind at all. What do you think about church today? You know, I was astonished. And say it like that too. Just take a step back when you do it. I was astonished. No. Some of you need to laugh. You're welcome. Haven't cracked a smile for a week. Look at you. The word amaze means to strike a person of their senses by some overwhelming feeling such as fear, wonder, or joy. To strike a person, not literally, (laughs) but to strike a person in their soul, in their heart. This is what they felt. They were amazed. The words penetrated their heart, and there was a sense of fear, wonder, and joy when he spoke. There are many things that people are amazed about Jesus, In Matthew chapter 8, they were amazed by his authority over natural elements. What manner of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. They were amazed. Would you be amazed if Jesus said, silence, and the winds died down and the waves stopped? I'm not even sure what I would do with myself. I'd probably hug myself. What just happened? I I wouldn't have time to hug anybody. I mean, that's an amazing thing. We read these stories to our children as though they didn't happen. Friends, they happened. Jesus spoke to the winds and the waves, and the the people were amazed. They were amazed by his authority over evil spirits, Matthew chapter 9. They were amazed by his divine wisdom, Matthew chapter 12. They were amazed by his power over sickness, Mark chapter 2. And they were amazed by the testimonies of his ministry in Mark chapter 5. All of these references I'm giving you is when it literally says, they were amazed. When Jesus stepped into the world that we live in, people were amazed. Friends, the world will be amazed by Jesus again. Jesus lives in, his, in, his, through his, in and through his people. In the first three chapters of the book of Acts, something beautiful happens. As the believers live life, as they continue the ministry of Jesus, it says almost five times, I believe, in the first three chapters, that when people observed the disciples, they were amazed. Why? Because the same Jesus that people were amazed by in the Gospels. They're amazed by the Jesus that lives through the disciples in the book of Acts. 
People today are looking to be amazed by someone otherly, someone that carries truth, someone that has authority over sickness, disease, and all the powers of darkness. Jesus is that one, and you and I carry his ministry and his message, and people will be amazed by Jesus again through our lives. I'm looking forward to that. We're building up towards that. But that's not all we read about here in the passage today. It's the teaching of Jesus, and it's the power of Jesus. Our text highlights it in very specific ways. Jesus cast demons out of people who were oppressed, and Jesus healed the sick. All kinds of diseases, sicknesses, and ailments. Let me tell you this. In the four gospel accounts, I could find 20 healing stories. 20. Now, these healing stories do not mean 20 people were healed, but there would be one story that says all who came to Jesus were healed. Now, that could have been 100 people, but I'm calling that one story. And I'm also sort of collating all of the synoptic gospels. So when I say 20, I'm saying if it was in Luke and Mark and it's the same story, I'm putting that together. There were 20 approximately healing stories in the gospels, six demonic deliverances, But how many of you know there were a couple more than one demons that came out of one man? So that's like a multiple deliverance there, but six demonic deliverances and eight miracles. Out of all of these scenarios, only two of them happened in a synagogue. Everything else happened outside when Jesus was going from town to town, from city to city. And this is one of those occasions, and it's the first miracle that we read about where a man was literally delivered. And we see here, Jesus cast demons out of those who were, who were oppressed. Let me read to you the passage, verse 23. Just then, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out saying, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet. Hold on, I gotta get my voice better. Be quiet, come out of him. <laughs> I don't know what it sounded like. I've, I've seen people pray for others and start to do that. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Just, just say, say it how you would say it. Yeah, it's not good. Be quiet. Come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out. Let me remind you when we talked about demons in our sermon series on spiritual warfare, they are disembodied spiritual beings seeking to oppose God on the earth and his purposes. Now, there's a lot we could talk about when it comes to demons, but let me just make some observations. First, we know that demons are, they make quite a bit of noise in the New Testament. As Jesus and his disciples minister, demons manifest, and then they're cast out and dealt with. But here's something interesting from this story. Number one, demons are very aware of that their judgment day is coming soon. How do we know that? They say, Are you here to destroy us? Are you here to, they knew their demise was coming. Number two, demons could recognize who Jesus was. They said, you are the Holy One of God. Nobody else could recognize Jesus but the demons. Number three, the presence of Jesus in itself is a confrontation with the powers of darkness. The presence of Jesus in itself was a confrontation with the powers of darkness. Nothing has changed. The presence of Jesus in and through his people still is a confrontation with the powers of hell. Number four, Jesus had total power and authority over demonic spirits. He didn't arm wrestle them. 
He didn't debate with them. He said, be quiet, come out. And yeah, they tried to throw the man down and into convulsions, but they did exactly what Jesus said. And finally, demon spirits can go undetected in the lives of people. This man was sitting there at the synagogue as Jesus was teaching. And I'm willing to venture, this is my opinion, that he was there every week. I'm willing to venture that this demonized man was undetected every single week. Now, I've actually had an experience like this before, more than one, but the first time this happened to me, I was more of a young adult, okay? You guys, some of you would say, you still are a young adult. I'm almost 42, I don't feel like that. But when I was preaching youth camps and youth groups and ministries and other churches and young adult, I went to a young adult ministry, not, not anywhere close to our church here. There was about 100 young adults there and they invited me to speak and so I went. First time I was there, I believe, uh, definitely the last time. First time I was there. And I spoke, this is the first time I talked about kingdom authority. And my points were very simple. I can remember to this day, kingdom authority. Jesus is the king. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over the powers of darkness. He has authority over the power of sin. He has authority over the power of the grave. It was real simple. I barely knew what I was talking about, but I knew Jesus was the king and he was powerful. So I was preaching the Bible. It was his word and not mine. And I was just saying amen to it. And that's that's what that was like. And as I begin to preach, I'm pretty sure I got about 20 minutes into the sermon. And without exaggeration, I know sometimes preachers exaggerate, but I'm telling you the truth. There were witnesses to this, a hundred of them. When I was preaching, I watched this woman about five or six rows back. She's probably about 25 to 27 years old. And she began to slide back in her seat. Now, if you've been at church for any length of time, you notice sometimes people do low ride in their seat at church. Sometimes when they haven't got a good night of sleep, they begin to slide back like they're low riding, you know? And it's very impressive. I mean, once in a while, I want to stop and just go, wow, and move on. Because, I mean, and that brother needs some sleep. I mean, seriously, there's no judgment in the house of God. Some of you just need some sleep. You're not trying to fall asleep. I love you. I get it. Some of you apologize. You're like, Pastor Ben, I didn't mean to fall asleep. Your sermon's, sermon's not boring. And that's fine. You just needed some sleep. We'll just pray that over you and, and move on. It's cool. If you find peace here, that's a good thing. Sometimes people come to the house of God and there's so much peace there for them. I mean, not when I'm yelling, you know, but there's so much peace there for them that they be, some of you are like, when are we going to pray for your sleep? <laughs> like, yes, I need the sleep. I need the peace. Amen. <laughs> this is bad. I just have a vision in my head now of some people just walking through the doors, just falling over, and the ushers know what to do. If this is your first time with us, we, are, we love you so much. And yes, I am the lead pastor, but I'll act better next week, all right? Uh, but it's an, it's an amazing thing. I, I'm preaching, and the woman is sliding in her seat, and I was in my mind, I'm still trying to preach, and I'm thinking, this is very strange. She finally just literally falls out into the floor and doesn't like fall out hardcore, but she slips into, into the aisle or into the row and she falls in there and she starts convulsing like she's having some kind of attack of some, of some kind. Now, medically, I sort of went there in my mind. I thought this woman is having some sort of medical problem. That's what I thought. And that's, you know, honestly, it's what we sh should think uh, immediately anyways. Not that God doesn't do stuff, but that's what I went to. And so... I don't know why, 30 seconds, I'm still trying to preach for like 30 more seconds. And I realize that's a really bad idea. So I stop, we clear the room out. And the next thing I know, we go up to her and we're checking with her friends and they say, no, this, she's fine. And we kind of bring her to, we bring her up into a chair and she's having all kinds of demonic manifestations. Well, anyways, this is a woman that people know. So I'm gonna mess with your theology for a minute. I'm not gonna clean it up. This woman is known in this community as a Christian. She works for the Seahawks. So if you're watching Seahawks, we're sorry. Uh, probably not right now, are you? 
Neither are you because you're here. Is there a game today? I wouldn't even know. So uh, I usually see a jersey and I'm reminded, oh yeah, there's that football thing. But, but anyhow, we got her up to, uh, up to her chair and the woman's prayer team was ministering to her for like a long time. And then we notice over in the corner, there's another young lady who's like in a fetal position. And I don't want to go into how, what she was saying and doing because it was, it's pretty embarrassing what was going on. But she was having a demonic manifestation. And both of these women were known in this community. And I, I just want to tell you, Something about the words, not my message, but the words talking about the kingdom authority, his presence showed up, power was manifested, and demons couldn't hide anymore. Now, I don't know how to clean up the theology that you're asking about right now, but she would, they both were demonized. There was an open door. One of them, it was because of the occult. Another one, it was a childhood thing. That, but power manifests. You know, it takes power to make demonic spirits manifest. But it went undetected for a long period of time until we begin to talk about how the power of Jesus can not only bring it up, but cast it out. Now, let me tell you, you cannot counsel the flesh and you you cannot, or you cannot cast out the flesh and you cannot counsel a demon. So you need to know which one you're dealing with. Amen. But I want to tell you something today, and I mean this. I mean this, and I'm counting the cost of what I'm going to say. I believe that there are a lot of things that people are facing that have an underpinning of demonic power. We're living in a culture of excess and indulgence, and you better believe that the more people give themselves over to these thoughts and these actions and these attitudes and these behaviors, demon spirits have opened doors to torment, to oppress, and to literally take over people's lives. And they will go undetected. I have watched it again and again. And just being a good pastor, one of the reasons that I am Pentecostal is not because I want to be. It's not because I think it's a better brand than the church down the street. It's because I have literally seen God do things that are unexplainable, except that I read that the same things happen in the Bible. And when I see God still doing today what he did in the scriptures, I have to believe just as a person of intellectual integrity that Jesus hasn't changed. He still has power and he still wants to deliver people of demonic spirits in the world that we live in. And we're facing those things today. How many of us, the, the Bible says it like this. I, I'm, I'm going to have to close real soon here, guys, but I'm going to do as much as I can, much damage as I can to hell until I close today. The Bible says it this way. Do not let the sun go down on your anger or give the devil. How many people night after night have been going to sleep with their anger. And they've not only given the devil a foothold, but they've given him the key to the door of their soul. Friend, when you read that detail in scripture, if we pass that by, like it doesn't matter. Like we just casually think the enemy, you know, the enemy, is he really around? I mean, I kind of read these stories in the Bible, but you know, I don't know if it really happens uh, in America. Yes, friends, it might be happening in your home. It might be happening with your children. Friend, listen, you can't drink alcohol 
and start to get buzzed and drunk and not think for a second that something is coming into your soul step by step, moment by moment. You can't smoke things, drink things, say things, do things, and expect for a moment that something isn't trying to get its way into your heart, into your mind, into the way you think, into the things you say, into the places that you have influence with. Don't think for a second that we're not living in a time where these things, even for Christians, aren't trying to creep into to our life. No, they're not knocking on our door. No, they're not addressing themselves and asking if they can come in. It's where we come into agreement with lies. It's where we say yes to evil. It's where we say yes to sin. And as we continue to persist in willful, unrepentant sin, friend, I just want you to know, don't do that. When we're honest, when we love God, when we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But demonic power is set against us in this world. Christians are called to shine bright in an hour that is dark. Our, our light should shine bright. The world has darkness, but we are the bright light of Jesus Christ. And with that, we bring delivering power, healing power. We are a church that believes that. Maybe you didn't know what kind of church you walked into today, but you will know what church you walked out of today. We believe in the delivering power of Jesus. The church that is relevant today is not the church that just teaches. It's the church that believes in the power of God and is unashamed to go after what only God can do. And some of us in the room, some of us online, you're being plagued with something and it's stronger than you. You're not gonna be able to work your way out of it. You're not gonna be able to earn your way out of it. You can't study your way out of it. You can't preach your way out of it. You need the power of God to be exercised over the evil that has been set against you. That's what we need in our lives today. It's what our children need. It's what our world needs. They need to know that power is still available. Power that delivered you. Power that delivered me. I was delivered from very serious sin when I came to Christ. It's one of the reasons that I preach the way I do. I live the way I do. I believe the way that I do. I believe that God can heal the sick. I believe that God can deliver people. I believe that God can do things that we haven't been able to do, and he will do them on our behalf. Now, we don't want to act like we don't, aren't a part of obedience to God. I'm not saying you can be negligent with your own life and then go, God, heal me, set me free. I'm not saying that. We want to steward the natural and contend for the supernatural. And so as we close today, I want to simply say this. I had a lot more to say. There's notes there, you know, and I had to cut them down twice. Twice. But last night, actually, I preached at a church on Friday night, and I wasn't betraying you, by the way. Wasn't doing that. But I preached at a church on Friday night, a friend's church, and at the end of it, I was talking about, as I've been lately, the more of God, what's robbing the more of God in our, in our lives. And I talk about how sin robs the more of God. But you know the reason that we harbor these sort of caves for the enemy to lodge himself into, the, into our soul? It's the lack of humility. It's the lack of humility. It's that honesty. You know, Pastor Ryan talked about worry last week. The week before, I talked about fear. These were messages to highlight, to diagnose. And then we gave a level of prognosis. What do we do from here? But I, I want to tell you, some of you, some of us today, let's be honest, are plagued by fear. We are plagued by worry. You heard the word, but you still went home and you felt like I'm plagued by this. Maybe in your life, you're not possessed 
but there's a torment that has been set against you and you haven't discerned it. And it is the enemy. It is demonic power set itself against you. And I would describe it this way. It feels bigger than you. And when we're humble before God and we confess our sin and we get that out and we still feel like something is plaguing us. I've prayed for people where they seem to can't keep a job and they're honest about it. And there's some type of curse over their life. And I mean that I've prayed for people and we break that curse, whatever that perpetual thing is in their life. Last night I had somebody confess to me. I have never talked to them before. And they said, I have crippling fear anxiety. I cannot get over it. They didn't have to come up and say that to me. It takes a lot to do that. People do that in counselor's offices. And I respect that practice. I respect that confidence. I I get that. But they walked right up after the service and said, I'm crippled by anxiety and fear. And I I wanted them to know we're going to pray for nothing less than God's full freedom for you. I don't don't want to pray for less. I'm not going to do that for you. I'm not, I'm not guaranteeing everything because of my prayer, but please, let's come into agreement. That's the kind of church that, that we are. We're not guaranteeing everybody's gonna walk away exactly perfect every time, but we can't back down and stop contending for what God wants to do in our world. The world is looking for it. The world is looking for freedom. Some of the most relevant churches today are gonna be churches that know how to set the captives free. Jesus came And I want to say this as we close. He didn't just teach. He was the best teacher in the world. He spoke with authority. Some people are going around, they're just looking for teaching. We need more than teaching. Teaching is important. It sets the truth. But it's from that truth that we exercise the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you if you believe in Jesus. And so when we come together, we're reminded of who we are. We're reminded of who God is. We're reminded of what is possible. In this room today, many of us that maybe are not free could walk away free. That is possible because of the power of Jesus. Some of us that are sick and have not been able to get over something. I prayed for someone last night and at the church that I was at, I called many to come forward. I just said, come on forward. And I lost track of how many, many young people came forward. I look up and there's all these young people, many on their knees and they're crying out to God. I didn't lay hands on any of them. I wanted them to have an encounter with God. What you want is not from me. What you want is from him. And you have authority in Christ to rise up against these things. And the enemy does not want you to know that you have power over darkness. He wants us to sit down and to be quiet and to step back and to act like there's other men and women of God. And I'm not that one. And that is a lie. I didn't come here to give you anything. I came to tell you what is yours in Jesus' name. That's what we're looking for in these days. And so today, I want to, I've asked Jandy to play, and you've been doing a good job. I want you to know. You just, you do such a wonderful job. I've asked Jandy to play, and I want for the rest of this time to be a sanctuary. You know, we have to close the service, and some of you have children. Don't forget about your children. Um, we we want to teach them, but we don't want to keep them. I got four, so I don't. Four and no more. You got to get your kids. And, but I want to say this to you. Humility is, is a commodity you cannot buy, but you must exercise. If you're struggling with something today 
and it's bigger than you and you don't know how to get free and there's a plague over your life. You've tried, you've sought that, or maybe it could be anything. Friend, it could be anything. There's a sickness over you and you can't get free. You've gone to the doctor. Most of us, we go to the doctor, we do all that. But you need healing in Jesus' name. You, you, need, forgive, you need forgiveness in areas where there's bitterness and unforgiveness. You, you need God to help you out of that. You feel like something's over you. There's a shadow cast over you. You can't get any joy. You can't get any peace. You're angry. You're frustrated. You're bitter. You can't get rid of your lust. We had some people last night confess their lust. There's a lot of courage when you come up and talk about your lust. They talk about, I can't stop doing these things, looking at the computer and doing stuff like that. I can't stop it. I've tried. I'm saying, go to the group. Do all that. But come and get set free in Jesus' name. Know who you are and know that your God, God, he has power over that stuff. Many of us in the room, we've been set free of all those kinds of things. And there's a testimony in this room that reverberates every time I say deliverance and freedom. It rings true in many of our hearts. For the rest of us, it can and it will. And so as we close, would you stand and pray with me? And I'm going to ask you to do this after I'm done praying. I'm going to ask you that if you need that type of freedom, and, and maybe you wouldn't say, Ben, I'm... I have a demonic issue, but you feel like you have an open door. Something is there. You need that freedom. I'm going to ask you to come forward. We're going to have our pastors and leaders pray. This is a weekend of freedom. We prophesy that in the name of Jesus. This is a weekend of freedom. We don't do this every single week. We don't do this every time. But today, this week is a week of freedom. Don't walk out if you know you need to come up. Don't walk out if you know you need to come up. Today's the day for freedom. And we want to agree with you for no less than God to move powerfully in your soul, in your mind, in your heart, and in your life, whether it's healing or deliverance. But I would also encourage you, and we won't do this every week, if you want a fellowship, we have a huge, massive gym with food, and we want you to fellowship. Some of you need to fellowship. Some of you need to connect with people. We want you to do that. Go over to the gym. But let's not try to do that in here. This is our sanctuary, and this weekend we need it to stay as a sanctuary so that the talking doesn't get too loud, so that we kind of lose track when we're praying for people and it doesn't feel like a sacred space. Can we honor that this weekend? Can I ask you to do that? We want the Lord to move, and so I'm asking you to partner with us in that. And so I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna release us. Our pastors are gonna come forward. If you need to come forward for prayer, come forward for prayer. If you need to go get your kids and come back, go get your kids and, and, and come back. We'll pray for them too, amen? Some of them, don't force it though. That may not be... That may not be good. <laughs> Pray with me. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. You have all power. And today as your people, we cry out to you. Mighty God, we ask you to move on behalf of your people where there's something in our soul, our mind, our heart, our attitudes, our actions. We pray today that where things are lodged in, where we're sick and we cannot get, we haven't been healed. Things have not been made right. Maybe they're old wounds that haven't been healed or sicknesses that we just learned about. God, we ask you today for freedom. We ask you today for deliverance. We ask you today for healing. What we read about in this passage today, that many came to you. Once they heard about the man that you set free in the synagogue, they went out and they got all their friends and they said, let's go see Jesus. And I pray today we would do exactly what they did. These are all of our friends here today. And we want to come to you in prayer. So we're going to follow their example. And we ask that as we do, Lord, would you honor these prayers? They're prayers of obedience to your word. They're prayers of faith and expectation. We ask that you would honor them with power, your power. Holy Spirit, saturate this place. 
We give it over to you, and we thank you for it today in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.